We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, hello. Oh. Is he in combat fatigues? What's going on? He's, he's had his hair cut really short. Are you going on SAS Who Dares Wins or something? What's going on? He has. He's shaved his head shaved yeah. his hair off. It's all a bit severe, isn't it? Is this the start of his midlife crisis? Well, the start was the earring, wasn't it? Actually, that's a good point. This is stage <laughs> two. Oh, shit. He's going to join the army, isn't he? He's going to join the army. He's gonna he's gonna start like obsessively watching Bear Grylls and crap like that. Yeah, I've gone for the uh, low maintenance approach. Yeah. Are you are you are you like gonna are you are you on some kind of like SAS camp or something? What's what's going on? You look altogether like severe and scary and a hut 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 and a move 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 and carry bricks. Just trying to remain fashionable, you know. That's all. That, that horse has bolted, I think, in that fleece. Fucking hell, rich coming from you, isn't it? <laughs> if you had this haircut, it'd be your last haircut. Yeah, it's true, actually. Look at that. It is going. It's going back all the time, I've got to admit. It's getting it's getting dangerously receding, my hairdo. You're a couple of years younger than me as well. I know. I don't know what my excuse is. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and I can tell you that we are going up in the world because Stephen Finn has entered the second phase of his midlife crisis. You may remember, if you were sad enough to be listening about a year ago, that Stephen Finn got an earring and we thought that was the beginning of his midlife crisis and he has now gone to stage two as he has joined us now and he has shaved a lot of his hair off he's wearing a hideous fleece and he's even got what looks like the starts of a little bit of a mustache growing on his Ooh. face as well and just to cap off the midlife crisis he's got a fancy new audio setup at his home so he should sound in better quality than ever in fact his repost to me now should basically be in whatever the audio equivalent of hd is hi finney Hello, how clear does this sound? It is very nice. Pretty good. Actually, what have you got written on your um does that say I'm quality? Does that say I'm quality? You might say I'm quality. In in quality. Does in it? quality. And then uh, you'll be very jealous to see that look, it also says BBC Sport. Uh, which obviously none of your equipment says on it, does it? So um, no, no, because no. some of us don't leech off the taxpayer when we make this podcast. Some of us go out and buy the equipment ourselves, recognizing that. In and a then cost run of it through your crisis, tax return, do you? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thought you right? might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's tax deductible. If well, to be fair, it would be weird if my mic did say BBC Sports, seeing as I don't work for them. But I'm a bit worried to mention that this is a Radio X microphone because they gave this to me in lockdown 
to do two weeks of broadcasting from home. And I'm pretty sure it's worth a lot of money and they've completely forgotten they've given it to me. And I oh, use it for the podcast every week. But let's be honest, none of them listen. So we should be absolutely fine. Um, Finney, talk, talk to me about the haircut. What was the, what was the thought process? Um, well, I've wanted um, shorter hair for a little while, but because I had an event that I needed to look smart for last Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, I decided that it wasn't a good idea to cut all my hair off before that event. I thought I'd just do it after it. So what? yeah, yesterday I took the um, took myself up to the barbers here in Hove and asked him to give me a seven on top and a little fade up on the sides. I'm confused. I'm I'm totally confused. So you think at at an event that you need to look sharp for, you'll have your old haircut, but mm-hmm. for the rest of life, you'll look like a slightly dodgy former SAS character who's suffering from PTSD. Is living in a cave, and is liable every now and then to come out and perform acts of unspeakable horror with a with an Uzi. Well, I think unlike <laughs> yourself, and more than likely Toby, that this won't constitute my last haircut. When I cut it down to a seven, <laughs> it will grow back. So, yeah, I'd imagine in three or four weeks, I'll probably put pretty normal again. Has well, it gone down at home? Because because often, you know, one of the great judges of haircuts is the the person who actually has to look at it rather than the person who wears it. Uh, are you talking about Ethel or Elizabeth or what? I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the whole coterie of uh, female well, yeah. admirers. Yeah. I woke up um, in the middle of a cat sandwich this morning um, and it was Ooh. the first time I'd woken up with my new hair and both Ethel and Elizabeth both seem to be quite happy with it and Amber hasn't yet seen me in person. So, yeah, I, I don't know how she'll feel about it. Where is where is Ethel? Because <laughs> um, She's hiding, actually. I think this new setup might have put her off. Oh, Ooh. no. Well, this I'd rather you had terrible audio quality, but we had Ethel's arsehole in our face. Will I never see that puckered bum again? No, I'm sure you will. I'm sure she'll come and display it at some stage. I think she's feeling a bit sorry for herself at the moment, actually. She keeps following me around and being desperate for some love and attention, which naturally I give it to her. But Mm, um, I bet you do. Yeah, I'm a hard taskmaster sometimes, so... Um, yeah, she doesn't get a treat whenever she wants, so she's just moping around a little bit today. She wants Claude. Is it Claude? I think yeah. it was Claude. And you, and you rejected Claude. Claude, Claude was, you Claude was the neighbouring cat. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. no, he just looked too run-of-the-mill, unfortunately, for Ethel. Well, did, did you let Ethel... You haven't let Ethel decide that, have you? I mean, this is so typical of protective parents. Now, thank you very much to Gareth, who tweeted at Zero Ducks Pod in the week with a potential Christmas present for Ethel. And he sent me a calendar for this year, and it is just 12 (laughs) photos of male cat's testicles. So something that you might treat Ethel to, Finny? Seeing as she's lived such a sheltered life, just look, you know, the picture there. Potentially, yes, is it? That's not going to be like a not going to be like a scratch and sniff sort of thing, is it? Um, I don't know. There you go. Can you see that now? That's just... yeah. That's, Jan- that's a little peek at January. Just a nice pair of cat testicles. Seeing as Elf Ethel's lived a sheltered life, because you're a very strict dad who won't let her out, won't let her out and get some nookie, maybe that would just keep her keep her tied over until the new year. Yeah. I mean, Sal's going to have to edit a fair bit of this out, isn't he? To be honest. <laughs> I don't think he will, to be honest. I mean, he's, got, he's, got, he's in Qatar. He's got better things to do. Um, well, anyway, we should talk about the fact that the posh dude that Finney mentioned was his testimonial at Lords last week, hosted yeah, by that, yours truly. I don't go by the way, truly. without we, me. 
I well, saw you... pictures. It sounded like it all went really well. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, do the math. You weren't there, and it went swimmingly. It was. Yeah. It was amazing. I think for the first time ever, "Sweet Caroline" was sung by almost everyone in the long room with napkins being swirled around their head, and I don't quite know how we got away with it. No, it was um, W.G. Grace would have been turning in his grave, frankly, at some of the scenes in the long room that night. But um, Graham Swan <laughs> and Alistair Cook and Finney got up on stage and did a bit of karaoke. It was a, it was an all-round highbrow oh God, affair. What did he Ed sing? Smith, Owen Morgan. What they sung Me and Mrs. Jones. <laughs> of course. Of course, yeah. yeah that <laughs> the makes, obvious. Makes sense. The obvious yeah. choice. Um, anyway, we need to get into the cricket, even though it's the most pointless cricket that we will ever discuss on this podcast. And we've discussed some pointless stuff on this podcast, but this takes the biscuit. I'm not just saying that as a bitter England fan, because England lost to Australia, and I always hate England losing to Australia. But after being world champions and that incredible high, England came back down to earth with a bit of a bump, but they don't really care, I don't think, after losing the most pointless ODI series in history to Australia, 3-0. I mean, what to say about this series? It was clearly a money spinner. It was clearly a case of England-Australia always does quite well financially and whilst you're down there, why don't you play some ODIs on top of a T20 World Cup? Um, Josh Butler was quite outspoken about it. He he was pretty outspoken about how pointless it was. He said, I feel a bit for the players, to be honest, the ones who are young and coming into the game at the moment. They want to play all formats, but I don't think the schedule allows you to. Um, Finney, what do you make of that? Because Liam Livingston has pulled out the big bash. Will Smead who looks like a real talent, has signed an, a white ball contract aged just 21. He's turned his back on the first-class game aged 21. Are, are young players being forced to make a choice now about what sort of cricketer you're going to be? Yeah, it feels as though people specialising is going to be far and far more frequent as the years go by. It's only going to take a few people to do it and realise that um, specialising in one format now is probably going to be the way forward. Um, you just hope that enough people decide that they want to specialise or want to concentrate enough on the longest format of cricket because otherwise it, it could be troubled times for it. I think the the most bizarre thing at the moment that we've seen happen in the last couple of years, we've talked a lot about the schedule being packed, but overlapping series is a whole new phenomenon because at the minute, half the squad is in Pakistan preparing for a test series. And the ones that aren't in that squad are in Australia playing white ball cricket. We had it earlier in the summer where England played Netherlands in some white ball cricket halfway through a test series against South Africa. I mean, as if the schedule wasn't packed enough, pretty worrying if you're a cricketer for England now that there's a chance at some point that actually the white and red balls are going to be playing on different sides of the world and overlapping. I mean, there'll be no gaps left in the in the calendar whatsoever at this rate, surely, Philip. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and asking people and having the level of scrutiny that is on you in international cricket and just expecting you to be able to flip between the formats. Naturally, Bradman and those guys would have done it. They've transcended across formats effortlessly as they would have done in the 50s and 60s because they were such better players. But clearly, it's yeah. not that possible. Uh, clearly, I think it's going to be very difficult for for guys now to be able to concentrate their efforts and to be able to give their all in everything. And I think that this one day series in Australia highlights that. This this series, though, it was a bit of an anomaly. I mean, I think it was tacked on because there were three games that needed to be played as part of the um, ODI scheduling, uh, you know, for the for the table, for the, the championship table for qualification for the World Cup, all that kind of nonsense. 
and COVID had got in the way. So there are a bunch of extenuating circumstances. And I don't think that the future tours program looks quite as mad as some of the things that have been happening right now have. I mean, India have found themselves, and Australia did, didn't they? They had a test team playing in one game and a one-day international team playing in a completely other part of the world. Uh, so it's not a, a new thing. It's something that I think has happened because of fixed congestion while we had a pandemic. So we do have to put it into a little bit of context. I think there's a more broad concern about 50-over cricket, though, generally, because it's not just those three one-day tassels which are completely, utterly pointless. I will raise you, incidentally, the third T20 at the Monica Oval between Australia and England in October which were part of warm-ups for the World Cup, which was genuinely the most pointless match of international cricket that has ever taken place and mercifully was stopped by rain halfway through. Um, but where does one-day cricket, one-day international cricket go? Because Australia don't have another one-day international at home until 2024. Get your head around that. There's a World Cup taking place in October and November. And Australia do not play a home one-day international now, from now, literally today, until the start of 2024. In part because South Africa have pulled out of a one-day series because they want to uh, put all their eggs into their own T20 franchise basket, which is taking place in January. So sides just aren't playing a lot of 50-over cricket. I mean, England aren't going to play a lot of 50-over cricket before the next World Cup. So then you get this World Cup. And what I... What I'm trying to understand, guys, and I'd be fascinated in your views on this, is what's now the actual real World Cup? Because really the 50-over World Cup was the World Cup. That, though, if you won the 50-over World Cup, that was the big international tournament, wasn't it? And actually, when the World T20 started, it was called the World T20. They didn't call it a World Cup until relatively recently. I wonder now, what, what do players think, Vinny? Is it more important to win the 50-over World Cup or the 20-over World Cup? I'd say people probably value the T20 format more than the 50-over format in general across the normal cycle. But there, well, And also the prominence that T20 cricket now has in domestic cricket over 50-over cricket probably signifies that as well. But you would still say what the guys achieved in 2019 was probably still a bit more of a significant achievement than the T20 World Cup just gone. Well, would I would have said, thought like, that. I would, well, that's I would the way that, that I feel, but I also feel that times are changing and I may be slowly turning into a dinosaur. So um, it might be better off getting someone in their early 20s to talk about that. But I don't think it will be too long before the 20 over format does overtake the 50 over format. I think and the I think, 50 look, over guys format... Play, guys, guys, sorry, sorry uh, briefly, Toby. When does somebody who's going to play in a 50-over World Cup, and I mean like Joe Root and indeed Joss Butler and the bowlers, Sam Curran, when do they play 50-over cricket? Because the 100 overlaps with it in England, and the same is true of other countries as well. You know, the, the, the guys who are playing in the Australian national team are not necessarily playing in the 50-over comp that takes place in October and early November in Australia, are they? So when they actually come to play this tournament, You've got a whole bunch of people who have hardly played 50-over cricket at all. I think you're going to find sides getting bowled out in 45-overs and less, an awful lot more, that the look of the game is going to be completely different, isn't it? Because just how the hell do you know 
how to play it. If you but don't isn't play it, it, isn't 50 over cricket now, Finney, just elongated T20 cricket? It's the same skills just for a bit longer nowadays, isn't it? Those sort of, the old days of go hard at the front and then go hard in the last 10 have sort of gone. It's sort of just go hard for 50 overs now. Yeah, it is, which is why if the 50-over format is to survive, I think that there should be a levelling of the playing field between the batters and the bowlers. Because I, You would say that. Well, yeah, of course, but (laughs) what do you want to watch? Do you want to watch people just hitting the ball out the ground for 50-overs for seven hours a day? That's crap. It's not fun to watch at all. Do you want to watch a period of play where a bowler can change the game because the ball is reverse swinging or or the ball spinning a little bit, um, and do you want to see batters display some degree of skill to get their runs, then yes. Then yes, I would like to watch that. So there might have to be a reassessing of the rules. That rarest of things, a genuinely great intellectual Australian, Gideon Haig, once suggested, and I thought it's quite a good idea, that for 50 over cricket to survive, what it should actually become is like a test match, but 50 overs. So by which he meant no fielding restrictions, no bowling restrictions. Play with a red ball or a pink ball if you want to go day night and into the you know and, and do the flood lit and just completely change the dynamic of the game. Well, what about what about if we did like a no rules? It just turned into a no rules format where you could do what you wanted to the ball. You could use a corked bat if you wanted to. I don't Ooh. know. It, yeah. It'd be like like a like in wrestling where they'd start pulling the chairs and the and the tables out and stuff. It just turn into the cricket format or the cricket version of the of that. I'd watch that. Bowl from one yard mm-hmm. away. Finney, Finney, yeah. would, Finney would be almost quick from one yard, I reckon. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, I have to admit, genuinely, as a fan, the 50-over format is the most boring now. It goes on for so long. That's one thing that they've done well in T20s, force people to be in place to bowl certain overs at certain times. Some of the ODIs in recent years because it's 10 overs longer than a test match anyway. And if you, if it's not a close game, then you just sit there for the last four hours watching a team not chasing a big total. And I do agree with Finney that we talked about that world record score England got against the Netherlands earlier this year. I didn't find it interesting or exciting just watching basically baseball where they were hitting sixes pretty much in the same space between sort of long on and deep mid-wicket for the last 15 overs. I genuinely, I do think that format is is the one that's struggling the most. And um, it'll be interesting to see what they do over the next few years. Now, I should point out that Australia, as much as it pains me to ever say anything nice about Australia, we didn't lose this because the series was pointless. We lost it because Australia were very good. And yes, there were some players, Sam Curran, must have been very difficult for him to motivate himself after being player of the tournament at the World T20 to suddenly care about a free... ODI series, a free game ODI series. But players like James Vince, Billings, Roy, Stone, Salt, they had a lot to prove. And the Australian bowling attack was 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 too good for them. And Steve Smith looks worryingly good. In fact, more worryingly than that, he said he feels very good at the moment. He said where Ooh. he's hitting the ball and how his hands are working, that he feels really good at the minute. And the Ashes is going to come around very, very quickly. How scary a sight is that for England, Stephen Finn, that Steve Smith is showing glimmers of that sort of pre-sandpaper Steve Smith. Yeah, and he sledged Sam Curran in the press, didn't he, this week, I think, as well. Um, <laughs> with the, the darling of English cricket. And he started going at him just before an Ashes series. So um, he seems to have the bit between his teeth at the moment. But there's plenty of water to pass under the bridge until that Ashes series. So we'll see. 
you can just tell that the ashes is is in their mind at the minute. I saw that Steve Smith quote, and I thought that's a little sign that they're aware that in six months' time the ashes is going to happen. And actually, that ties in very nicely to something else that I wanted to talk about because producer Sal, who is the real brains of this entire operation, he sent me a picture on WhatsApp earlier. So it is exactly nine years ago that the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia had the famous headline, Pomicide, when Mitchell Johnson ran through England in the ashes. Um, Finney, obviously, you played in that series. And then years later, when Stuart Broad ran through Australia at Chet Bridge, we did the same headline over here as well. That's the beauty of the ashes. Um, but Mitchell Johnson, for a guy that bowled left, bowled right, bowled shite uh, a few years earlier, he was absolutely unplayable in that series. I think it's the best I've ever seen a bowler bowl in a series in, in my life. What was what was the talk in the dressing room? Was there any way of playing it? Um, no, not really. It was left arm missiles from a strange angle that swung and were very well directed. Yeah, it was it was some of the best or the most consistent fast bowling I've ever ever seen. His warm-up ball for each spell would be about 92 miles an hour, and then it'd just loosen up into his work around 94 and 95. It was um, it was scary to watch. I did 12th man for the entire series. Um, I was lucky enough not to get onto the field. So um, I never actually had to face him in that one. But watching from side on and watching closely, it was fascinating to watch. And then sharing a beer with him in the SCG dressing room afterwards and finding out that he's actually just a really, really nice guy. He wasn't a snarling, spitting, horrible Australian like you might perceive him to be when he's bowling. I had a really insightful chat with him that actually inspired me to make my own comeback a couple of years later. So, yeah, it was unbelievably impressive and and something that, again, I was very glad that I didn't have to face that series. There are people who you talk to who are on that series and you ask them about the many great fast bowlers that they faced. You know, Ryan Harris was amazing in that series. Totally different kind of bowler, but one of the greatest balls ever to get rid of Alistair Cook. First ball of an innings. But, the, they actually, there's almost like a trauma when you mentioned Mitchell Johnson facing Mitchell Johnson in that series. Right? They'd not faced anything quite like it before and they've not faced anything quite like it since. So they, they, it might, I think it, it felt really bizarre watching at the time. Facing it, it sounds like it was just absolutely extraordinary and spoken about in the same hushed tones as people talk about the 74-mile-per-hour Harold Larwood and the 82-mile-per-hour Frank the Typhoon Tyson. Of course. That's terrifying, no? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, it's, uh, Johnny Bairstow tells a story, I think, that during that series, I think it was Bairstow, that he sat upright in the middle of middle of the night because he suddenly saw a cricket ball flying towards him when he was fast asleep. That's how much Mitchell Johnson <laughs> was in his head during that series. So, yeah, um, unbelievable. Anyway, we'll get much more excited about the Ashes near the time, but the first little seeds of a little bit of rivalry were planted, I felt, by Steve Smith in the week when he made a little pop at uh, Sam Curran. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, I'm very excited to say that joining us for the remainder of the podcast is friend of the podcast and i think i'm right in saying the first guest who's ever been stupid enough to return this is his second appearance on the podcast i don't think any other guest has ever had such little self-respect that they've been willing to do that before but the legend is atif nawaz is with us hello atif how are you sir i'm very well man it's my honor to be back on tailenders that's what this is right oh <laughs> i did wonder why you agreed uh, let you know what let's just say yes yes it is tailenders and it's great to see you again yeah and the, the check will be in the post as well um now um you first of all you've you've been out in australia haven't you for the for the world cup the first question i've got to ask you really is how was daniel norcross's behavior because it we saw it from afar and it looked questionable at best yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to tell you that I wasn't in Australia, but I can tell you that Daniel Norcross's behavior uh, was, let's say, subpar. I mean, I was very disappointed. You know, I had very high expectations for Daniel. And, uh, you know, even though I wasn't there to see this firsthand, I'm pretty sure he um he didn't live up to, to expectations. But, you know, it's fine. We live and learn. And I think we'll, get, we'll give him another go. Uh, I'm we'll so send him sorry. somewhere. I didn't realize you weren't out there. I didn't mean to rub any salt in the wound if you didn't get the call up, mate. I'm I'm so sorry. If it's any consolation, <laughs> Finney didn't go, and I've never even been spoken to by the BBC. So if it's any consolation, you're you're still pretty high on the pecking order, mate. But um, but you were but you were but you were part of the groundbreaking India v Pakistan coverage, though, weren't you? Because I I listened to you a lot going over a bridge in Hobart. Uh, there was you, and there was Chetan Narula, and the build up to what was still. I know it pains me to say this, and it probably pains you to hear it, Artif. The best game of the tournament. Was it? I don't know. Was it still? Was of course, I well, it was the it best still game. The best game. I think. Yeah, I think it was it surpassed. Was I thought, you know, that that, uh, that game between. Yeah, it was the best game of the tournament. <laughs> annoyingly, I mean, I'm never going to watch the highlights of it or anything like that. But it was pretty good. And um, yeah, I, I I did jump on a couple of times just to you know share a few thoughts and you know sort of BBC esque preview stuff. One time I was like, I was in a go kart uh, a go kart warehouse in Tokyo, but that was the only that that was that seemed like the most reasonable place to to record the preview because I wasn't in England at the time. I tried to I got really close to Australia, but I didn't get into Australia sadly. Not nothing to do with border security or anything like that it was just a, it just wasn't asked uh, as it happens but well, yeah well um, you you didn't you, you didn't miss a great deal it, it was cold and wet i mean when i spoke to you earlier it turned out that you were sunning yourself in the middle of saudi arabia in 35 degree heat while i was encountering artif get this a, new, a whole new law right now you you'll be well aware of the fact that australia is quite law law based yeah now get this one this one's a goodie so I'd just gone for a cigarette. It was quarter to one in the morning. Henry Moran and I had 15 seconds of conversation discussing where we were going to go next because it was the night that England beat India by 10 wickets with four overs to spare. So there was quite a lot to chew the cud on there. Do you know what I mean? In an entirely impartial way, you understand, but there was a lot to try to get your head around. And as professionals, we needed more time to chew that cud. So we needed another bar. And in the 10 seconds it took to discuss where to go, 
this bouncer comes up to me and goes, mate, you, you can't stand and drink. I said, you can't what? No, no, you can't stand and drink. You can sway and drink. You can do squat thrusts and drink. You can move from side to side. You can stand on one arm and drink, I believe. But you cannot stand on two feet and drink. I mean, I think it's one of the craziest countries in the entire world. I feel like I should have been. I should have worn an armband the whole time I was out there protesting against their ridiculous rules. To be fair, I like there, Daniel, is that you've pointed out that I was in Saudi Arabia while you were in Australia, and then and then you've pointed out how Australia had strict because, of course, Saudi is very lax with their alcohol laws, as as we all know. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a weird turn. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that must have been really tough not being able to stand and drink for those few for those few <laughs> seconds there Norcross. yeah it must have been difficult uh now Artie, the reason we've got you on is um well first of all it's to gloat i mean we need to talk about the t20 final whilst we've got you thing is it was a bizarre tournament because pakistan were dead and buried they were out and then they were in the final so did that make it a slightly easier pill to swallow that the fact that you were there was a bit of a shock anyway yeah and no. Uh, it's just like, I mean, there was something really kind of romantic and fairy tale esque about Pakistan in that tournament. I mean, the way they started, the way they ended up in the semifinals against, you know, the, what felt like the laws of physics. And somehow they managed to get themselves into the final. And, you know, the whole way through, you know, Pakistani fans, include myself included, are, are crazy. Like we think about, you know, absurd nostalgia. Everything is about 1992 and like, you know, how everything sort of weirdly mirrored what was happening in 1992 and like yeah we went into that final thinking like okay you know it happened in 92 it was england in 92 and you know surely history is going to repeat itself i know it sounds really greedy to be on the cusp of elimination having lost to india and zimbabwe and finding yourself in a final but there was just this weird kind of cosmic expectation that they're going to get over the line they're going to do this and England, obviously, you know, were as good as anybody would expect them to be. And then again, Pakistan sort of just sort of got themselves back in the context, contest and they got kind of close. There was a thing with Shaheen. I mean, England, I think, probably would have got over the line anyway, but they did get a fright. And, you know, you're left with these really horrible what-ifs and all these kind of like, if this moment had gone and like you just... The problem with a loss like that is you... It's, it's the, the way it will play on your mind for days because you'll think about all these little moments that went against you. And because you're in the final and you'll, you've lost a final, you can't reflect on... Like, if I go back to the first ever T20 World Cup in 20, 2007, I can't remember anything that happened other than Ms. Bowlhuck's scoop shot that ultimately lost them the World Cup final. You forget about all the really, really good stuff because in that really iconic moment, all you really see is, you know, Ben Stokes driving Mohamed Wasim away and they, and they, and they win the World Cup and... You know, and you've lost. I mean, immensely proud of the team. Like, loved watching them play. You know, cheered them on every. I was very pleased not to be part of any kind of broadcast during the World Cup because I can sort of freely enjoy it as a fan. But yeah, it was it it's, it was heartbreaking, man. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was sad. Uh, my whole family, other than my nephew, was miserable. My nephew's a big England fan. Came over, gave me, my mum, my dad, his grandparents, the business all day. Oh, what happened to Pakistan? Oh, what happened to '92? Oh no! Like you know, it was just he's as insufferable as you can imagine. And uh, yeah, it was. I mean, that's that's the new that's the the new generation for you, uh, Rishi Sunak's England guys. Uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it was it was it was a tough loss to take, but pretty cool to be there. And the final was played in nice spirit. You know, England is England's got a lot of love in Pakistan. They they really adore the England team out there because a lot of their players come over and play PSL. 
and I think this is actually one of the more likable England teams. Uh, there's there's been no offense, Finney, of course. And yeah, uh, the team I mean, he played, Finney he, was he in there, in was, a supernova yeah. of like <laughs> of yeah, likability. But team yeah, he played um, it was universally despised. You're absolutely right, and and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it really, it really was, wasn't it? I mean, there wasn't there wasn't a, a single neutral cricket fan in the world that didn't hate that England team that got to number one. But I need, I need to ask you, Artif, because I've seen you, I've commentated with you on Test Match Sofa when India were playing in knockout games in uh, well, playing against India, for example, and Misbarul Hack was was batting, and I think you got to like you needed thirty off off five balls. And you were still full of confidence that it was going to happen. I mean, even when it was like 26 off three, there was always, there was going to be five wides around the corner. What was the point in the final where you actually gave up? Yeah, I, I'll go be, I got to be honest with you. Like, I think by the time we got to the final, it, this, this tournament had worn out all of my optimism. So the minute Shaheen had to limp off, I mean, Ben Stokes swings and misses at a sort of 83 mile an hour delivery from Shaheen wide outside off stump. He has to limp off. Uh, if the car comes in, Stokes just sits on his back for hammers him over long off. And at that point I knew like it, it's done. Like, you know, Ben Stokes, he knows what he has. He can smell the blood. He's going to, he's going to go for the kill. And um, at that point there was no, there was no real coming back for Pakistan. You could kind of see it on their faces as well. But I mean, just to have been in that position is pretty is pretty cool. I thought, you know, this is like this world-renowned England side. They've been absolutely phenomenal, and obviously, you know, they've it's it's not been perfect, and they've had like issues even recently, as you guys were discussing earlier. But um, they, yeah, they've been amazing. This England side. So like, just to be able to push them, just to be able to give them the the little fright was pretty cool, and uh, it's a nice sort of appetite wetter. Uh, for the test series because that's coming ahead but you know like to be t20 champions of the world it would have been nice it would have been the romantic kind of fairy tale ending but you can't begrudge that england team they're just they're just too good we'll come on to the test series in a few minutes time because i want to talk to you about the pakistan side of that but um whilst we've got finney here finney i'm trying to think of your performances against pakistan over the years any uh any batsman that you absolutely had the wood over any batsman that gave you some stick how did you get on against them yeah, I always had good games against Pakistan, as in we always had entertaining games. I did better in uh, one-day cricket than I did in test match cricket, I think. Um, I had a really good series against them in Dubai in 2012 in um, in the white ball stuff. And and yeah, and then I can remember Eunice Khan scoring a lot of runs against me in 2016. And that was, I had a couple of LBs against him overturned from DRS as well. So um, I thought I'd got him out, gave it the big celebration. And then he went and racked up, I think, a double and then maybe even another 100 in the series as well. So, yeah, glad that I don't have to bowl against Yunus Khan anymore. Was he the best Pakistani batsman you bowled against? No, Mohammed Yusuf, I reckon, was probably the best Pakistani batsman that I bowled against. Um, Yunus Khan like had strange technique. He'd change his technique almost every series, it felt like, when you played against him. He had this really strange, like wide stance in the 2016 series that I'd never seen him bat like before. Um, but Muhammad Yusuf was just classic, quite short. So I found it hard to bowl at short guys, whereas Yunus Khan is quite tall um, and gets out to the ball. So yeah, Muhammad Yusuf, I think in 2010, because uh, he was one of the, well, he is one of the greats of the game, isn't he? With the average that he had and the amount of runs that he scored. So um, probably him. 
Was that the year where he scored a ridiculous amount of runs, where he broke the record for the most runs scored in a calendar test year? Was that year that year a different time? No, I think that was a different time. Um, Artif might be able to definitely tell us, but I think it wasn't 2010 when he completely and utterly wrapped them up. I was going to say, because if he's batting against you, the record doesn't really count. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> I think that year was 2007 or it, right. it may have been 2007 or 2008 one or the other but it wasn't 2010 you're safe Finney don't worry you're safe Finney don't <laughs> worry you're safe oh now Atif I want to talk to you about the upcoming series because we talked about Afrida's injury poor guy at the minute he's like the knight in Monty Python of all the injuries because not only did he injure his knee in the T20 World Cup final but he just had a surgery for appendicitis as well so he's obviously not playing a part in this series um, and there's a few other major names missing and a couple of debutants in this Pakistan test side. First of all, um, what, what should we look out for on this Pakistan Pakistan side? Because the batting lineup still, all the big guns are there. Yeah, all the big guns are there. And they've got their sort of test specialists as well. You get Imam Al-Haq back, um, who's had a great run this year as well. And the the Kai the Azam Trophy, which is the, the, the first class competition in Pakistan. Uh, you got Abdullah Shafiq, who's going to come back in. I reckon he'll be the subject of the most sort of profile pieces because he's quite exciting and made a very promising debut in Pakistan colours even though it's really bizarre because before he played any first class cricket he scored a century in his debut T20 professional T20 game but was somehow groomed to be a first class player and uh, and a very good one at that like he put in some good performances against Australia earlier this year uh, so Abdullah Shafiq I'd keep an eye on and I mean there's some there's some really there's some surprise names and everything Fawad Alam won't be there for fans of Unusual batting stances, which is a shame. Uh, but what I'm really excited about is this brand new bowler who's getting a shot for the first time, whose name is uh, Muhammad Ali. And uh, I, I know Daniel's going to like him. He's a big literature fan. So nobody knew about this guy. Like, this is the first they've ever heard of him, like, when he was announced for the squad. And all of a sudden, everybody's scrambling to find stats on Muhammad Ali. Who is this guy? And there's a little compilation that the PCB put out of his bowling. He's not like this express seamer. He's kind of like, he's almost like a right-handed, left-arm style bowler that he sort of tries to bring the ball back into the left-handed batter or try and, you know, sort of, he has that kind of, that banana-shaped action. Very English style, sort of, County Championship April style bowling, right? Pakistan, uh, are, we talking, Matthew, are we talking Matthew Hoggard? I'm Matthew Hoggard. Matthew Hoggard, or 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 halfway between Darren Stevens and Matthew Hoggard. He's he, he's a bit. I wouldn't say he's like Matthew. He's not as quite as stocky or as explosive as Matthew Hoggard, but he sort of comes in. He's reasonably languid. He's quite a handsome chap as well. I will say. They always uh, are. Not that... <laughs> So I, I didn't say anything, Augie, if you're listening. Uh, I think you're a very beautiful person. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, I, yeah, he's very, he's very, very good, and he's got, he's got a quiet personality on him as well. Like he talks about books and reading and taking like inspiration from the old man and the sea. Apparently, is his favorite book, and he talks oh, about no, no, I hate yeah. that book more than I can tell you. That's that's it's my least book. favorite book. Oh yeah, I'm, you I'll, can I'll destroy you, a man, but you can't rebuild him at something like that. Oh, God. I had an English teacher called Paul Ackford, who was a lock forward for England in the 1980s and subsequently became a policeman. And he gave, he made us, he made us read that book. And it's Hemingway, yeah? And it's, oh, the old man said, the, the great DiMaggio said, the boy said. Just find another word for fucking said, can't you? And on and on and on this book goes. It's only 120 pages of tedium while they're chasing after a frigging marlin, which they eventually get. But it's, you know, spoiler alert, doesn't end up too well. And um, so I've written this, written this essay explaining why I thought this book was a complete pack of horse shit. And Paul Ackford, six foot seven inches tall, 19 stone, 
gives me 18 out of 20 for it and then says, Norcross, can you come to the front of the class? So I think, here we go. I'm going to... I'm now going to be lauded as one of the great literary critics of all time, age 13. Teacher's going to say, you suckers all fell for that Hemingway bullshit. Listen to Norcross, he knows what he's talking about. He says, give me your ruler. Foolishly, I'd asked recently if I could have a metal ruler, and my mother obliged. Handed over my metal ruler. He said, put out your hand. So I put my hand, palm up. He says, no, other way round. So all my metacarpals are now pointing up into the sky. And he takes my metal ruler. And using his 19 stone, six foot seven inch lock forward for England, whacks me with the sharp side of the ruler, not flat, sharp side of the ruler, going, that's my favourite book. <laughs> that's what public school does to you, utterly mentally destroying. I'm going to send, I'm going to send Muhammad Ali in Paul Ackford's direction. They'll get on like a house on fire. <laughs> four times, he hit you four times. That's, that's my that's favourite book. Favorite oh, wow. book, four. Four, oh. four hard wax with a sharp back. Thank God he didn't yeah. say that's my fucking favourite book. Good win. There'd be no fingers <laughs> left. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you've well, got to keep you an eye on what... Muhammad Ali. I, th I think he's quite interesting. And then there's, I mean, the batters you'll hear about, Saud Shaquille, he's very, very exciting as well. He's had a brilliant run. I think he's scored 400s this season so far and uh, in, in the uh, domestic tournament. And um, also, of course, there is Salman Ali Aga. So, those are the four kind of interesting. Obviously, Barbara's there, Rizwan's there. They'll do the business, I'm sure. But like the the new boys that you want to keep an eye on, Salman Ali Aga, who sometimes called Salman. Aga Salman, by the way, which is very confusing in scorecards, but that's the way they do it. Um, and yeah, so Salman Ali Aga, uh, Saud Shaquille, Abdullah Shafiq for the bats, Muhammad Ali for the ball. Um, they've also picked Norman Ali, which which is kind of. It's, it's baffled everybody. It's a really bizarre choice. He doesn't have the best stats from the season. He didn't have the best time with Pakistan the last time around, but somehow he's in the squad. Um, probably won't yeah, feature, but, but, but who but knows? Don't you, but don't you, don't you have to have him? Don't you have to have him? Because in any Pakistan team, there has to be a bloke who looks like he's about 46. And if it's not Iftikhar or Abdur Rahman, or is it, who, was it, was, who was the guy that played against you guys in 2012, Fiddy, that looked about 90? But spun spun you out for seventy odd at Abu Dhabi. Abdul Rahman, I think. Abdul Rahman, yeah. Yeah, he he um he ended up getting banned whilst he was playing for Somerset for um for being on the Magic Dragon, didn't he? I think. Oh, did he? I wasn't aware yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> that that's what kept him looking so old, was it? <laughs> that that explains. I mean, it it does the same to Keith Richards, so I guess it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but Keith Richards. Could probably turn the ball. That's that's the thing in it. <laughs> well, England's England batsman had no answer for him in 2012. Um, well, Artif, mate, thank you so much for coming to join us, and um, we will um, we will see how your predictions go for this series. But one final final quick thing: the conditions, because when Australia played there not too long ago, it was um, it didn't make for the most exciting cricket. Watch 2,000 play 1,800 every first innings. Yeah, you're likely to get similar conditions again. I think, um, you know, well, it depends because like the conditions will be the conditions. But I, I do expect England to come out and play the same kind of cricket they did this summer. So they get sort of neutralized, almost kind of, you know, prompt Pakistan to play a slightly different kind of cricket, come out of their comfort zone. Because Pakistan, as you say, will be very happy to, um, you know, go out there, bat for a day, 230 for two after 90 overs or 83 overs a day as they tend to play there. So um, they'll be very happy with that. But England will, you know, I get the feeling they'll go out there, be proactive, try and, you know, try and do that 420 
out of 83 overs to try and make Pakistan play a slightly different game. But I, I expect the pitches to be quite, you know, quite flat. I don't think there'll be a lot of um, turn in them. Like, it's a really weird myth that all Pakistani pitches are, are turners and things like that because they're, they're really, if ever, though, that way. Um, but in any case, like, yeah, I expect them to be just kind of flat wickets with not very much in them. Raul Bindi has a bit for the seamers, but not not after the first few days. So it really does rely on the proactivity of the bowlers and just, you know, moments of um, the breaks in concentration from the batters. So, yeah, I do think you'll see you'll see three five day tests, mate. I'd, I'd, I'd make that prediction. And, okay. and just tell me, because I'm only there for Karachi. Is, is that the one is that the one that definitely goes all five days and absolutely and, and ends in a ball draw? Yeah, so the Karachi was it used to be Pakistan's fortress, and it was a fortress more for draws than wins. So yeah, I think I think you, you just just yeah, just be ready to say, and that one's been left outside the off stump a lot, and gone through low to the keeper who takes it by his ankles. Yeah, <laughs> you find like sixteen bounce. different ways to say that. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm gonna get my thesaurus out. Artif, thank you so much. Great to see you, mate. Enjoy the rest of your night. Pleasure, guys. Pleasure Thanks, as always. Cheers. Give my give Thanks, my Stifers. love to uh, uh, to Jimmy Anderson. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> In my role as Felix White, I presume that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Excited, languid. Well, you know, you're welcome back on Tailenders anytime, RT. Thank you, mate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we'd get bigger guests if we just lie to them and say we're Tailenders. We could get we could get huge names. You know, those guys have like played the O2 and stuff. Right, that's pretty much all we got time for. Is there any anything from the floor? Any other business before we go? Yeah, there there, there is. There there is. Oh, of um, course there is. Oh bloody hell, strap yourselves in, Finney. Every time I think it's safe and we can say goodbye, then Norcross always has something he needs to get off his weird little chest. It's it's not little, I'll have you know. It's forty six inches of pure concave chested man. It's uh, <laughs> I mean it's weird. it is weird. I'll give you that. It's weird. <laughs> but little, it's not so little. And apparently, I discovered something amazing uh, thanks to Henry Moran, which apparently, I mean, men out there do well, and indeed women, if you're this way inclined. Um, apparently, you uh, you tend to grow more fulsome hair on the left hand side of your chest than the right hand side, owing to the fact that it's nearer your heart. And yeah, I know, isn't it weird? So, um, hang on, Finny, Finny, can you? Do you have a hairier left side of your chest? Than... Are you a hairy man, Finney? Um, I only ever, no, see, not you from... no, I only ever not... see the top half of your, your body on Zoom. No. Well, actually, Tamar Mills has posted an Instagram story of me today swimming in the pool at, um, oh, at here we go. Sussex. So I, um, well, you'll be able to see from that that there's very little hair on my chest, actually. Here we go. I don't know why I'm so desperate to see this, but I'm currently searching Tamar Mills on Instagram just to see it. Oh, there you are. Look at you go. So yeah. is that a, is that a swimming pool look? that Norcross, look, so it's a swimming pool, but he's, you're not actually going anywhere, Finney. So do you swim into some sort of machine that keeps you in the middle of the pool? Yeah, you swing into the current. Yeah. Ah, it's all very high tech. Well, like it? a kind of, so that like, like a kind of, like a bike machine. It's like the just... rapids. It's like being the, in the rapids. You're just swimming straight into the face of it. Yeah. Yeah, you, he's in good shape, that fella, isn't he? Well, he's a, bit, he's a bit hairless for my liking. You are it? completely hairless. I look like. Do you do you do you look after your um your hair? Do you do you shave? No, the no, I'm chest? just not a I'm just not a hairy man on my on my torso. Really, I look like I've something you'd find down the back of the sofa. I've got hair everywhere, yeah, apart from the too. top of your head. Yeah, apart from the top of my head. 
It's amazing that the joke is that I'm the bald one on this podcast. I mean, yeah, don't want to be but... unkind, but how have I taken <laughs> yeah, but that? He's 83. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, good I point. Am. Well made. And speaking but anyway, of, Norcross, speaking, you had something speaking of 83. to get off your weird lopsided hairy yeah, well, chest. Just, I mean, speaking of 83, I think as, as we reach the Caesura point, I know it's a long word for you two, but our listener is a highly educated man, Jack. As we reach the, uh, the Caesura point, of the fantasy football league, you're you're in about eighty third, aren't you? And uh, I think I'm in sixth. And um, you said, "Don't worry, by by the new year, by the new year, I'll be I'll be flying well ahead of you." Well, you're going to struggle to do that now, aren't you? Because there aren't any more games until Boxing Day. No, I said by and, the end of the season, not the end of the, oh, the year. Oh, did you? By the end of the season? Okay. Well, yes. look, I'm feeling increasingly confident because my hunches have all come off. I I signed this guy called Martin Ellie because Ellie Oldroyd told me that her nephew Martin had recently had a child. So I thought, that sounds like a good omen. And he netted me 14 points. Um, so far, I am blessed, much like the Pakistan cricket team until the final. And you said that uh, we would have to put some kind of forfeit on this. I think one of our listeners suggested that I host your radio show Yes, if I beat you at uh, fantasy football. Yes, well, the slight issue of that is that I'm fine with it, but my boss might have a few issues with that. What? What, what does he like to keep the quality of the program sufficiently low? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, no. Well, I, I, mean, can, I can do knob gags. You can write me some knob gags. No, the problem is, I, I and, believe and, you can I'm do knob gags. Press play. I mean, the I just problem press is, play. We're, we're taught to be concise and um, and to to make our point in you know a minute and a half or less, and try and get away twelve songs an hour. You'd you'd go on a tangent about the man. And the man and the sea, the old man and the sea. Before that, and you, you've just got to shit, play Foo Fighters and shut up, Norcross. I could learn. I could have a couple of practice sessions. You can't teach an og the dog, a dog old tricks. <laughs> That's not an expression. You can't teach an old dog tricks. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it sounds it's like, right. So I've got to learn how to get everything wrong. Shall I get I you? A de- shall I get you a demo at Radio X? Yeah, like, yeah, get me. Yeah, well, okay. just prepare them for it. Just prepare them for it. I mean, at least get me in as a guest so that I can run fifteen minutes of your program. Okay, I'll see what I'll see what things I can pull. This is all superfluous because I'm going to win fantasy football anyway. Come the end of the season, yeah, so it's right. absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm only seventy four places behind you. All right, well, chaps, I will see you next week. But thank you very much as ever. It was a joy, and uh, as it always is. Norcross, I hope your chest infection gets better. Yeah, I, I, me too. Fucking hell. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.